serves. This is Sir Gene with your morning update in the afternoon. Sir Gene here and joining me as is now become usual. Ben, how are you today? I'm doing well, Gene, I guess. All things considered. Yeah. Could be worse. Well, it could be worse. It could be hotter. Not by much. <laughs> I think Not we're much. actually on the the downward cooling phase, if you can call 100 degrees cooling, at least here in Austin. Yeah, for at least a little while, it looks like it. You know, it's funny because I was looking at the records and people yeah. are talking about global warming, global warming. Well, up until this June, it was 650 days since the last time College Station had seen over 100 degrees. Really? Wow. Yeah. So, you know, it, cycles change. This is definitely one of the hottest summers that I can remember since I've been here. And this is Were not typical. Were you there 11 years ago? Yes. Hmm. That, was, in... that was the first time we had a hundred degrees over a hundred days over a hundred degrees in Austin. Yeah. And so I, that, that, that is about where I was going with this is this mm -hmm. very much seems like that 2011 summer. So, and if you remember 2011 also was the year we had the bad freeze and the brownouts before. Yep. That's right. Uh, you're, so yes, I remember I started bitching about it back then. Yeah. Yeah. So bad, bad winter, bad, bad summer. Kind of interesting how that works. I believe it's called climate. It, right. And the reason it's called climate is because it's not the same temperature every day year round. If yeah, it was, climate would be meaningless. Yeah. And you've got the different La Nina winds and everything else that shifts that jet stream around and all that. So, mm -hmm. yeah. you know, if you want the same weather every day, go be a liberal. How, how does that work? California, mostly between uh, San Diego and LA. Yeah, to an extent, sure. It just doesn't change a whole lot. Yeah. Also, they don't have very good water management over there. You know, they don't believe in building dams. They just believe in stealing from the rest of the country. Yeah, and that's I've I've also talked about that. I'm I'm just shocked that the voters of Utah and Nevada have not done anything to restrict water rates. Man, they really should. But did you see the transformer fire? I did. Yeah. So, but you know that that's a pretty big deal when a deluge system doesn't work like that. So, mm -hmm. at least that generation capacity for that one generator that or whatever feeds into that transformer is going to be out for at least six months if they don't have an on-site spare. Yeah. Well, and that's only be, transformers are so hard to get right now. It is six months to a year lead time for any industrial trans any industrial size transformer. Well, that's assuming that Canada allows the transformer repair to happen. Yes. Because Canada's in charge of fixing all industrial equipment at this point. What do you mean? Well, that's a, that's a joke reference to the fact that the turbine for the, the Nord Stream 1 pipeline mm. has been held up by six months because Canada thinks that they don't have permission to ship repaired parts back to Germany because Germany will use them in connection with Russia. And of course, Russia's bad. Mm. And by it's the way, better to just not fix it and have Germany starve of natural gas. Yeah. By the way, for those who don't know, we were talking about the Hoover Dam transformer fire. Oh yeah. I guess we didn't <laughs> mention that. That's yeah. And it's interesting though. It seems like Russia's turning the Nord Stream 2 back on. Well, Russia wasn't the one who turned it off. 
It was it was awaiting German certification for about three months before February. Maybe I'm stating the wrong pipeline, but it, the pipeline that Russia has cut gas to Europe a few mm-hmm. weeks ago is back in operation. <clears throat> Nord Stream One. Yes. Well, there, there's actually multiple ones. So the the Nord Stream goes directly to Germany. The there's a series of other pipelines that go through Ukraine and through Belarus. <laughs> The one that was uh, getting fixed was Nord Stream 1. Well, regardless, it looks like Russia's delivering more gas. Also interesting that Lavrov came out and said, you know, you know, United States, by putting these missiles in, Mm -hmm. in Ukraine, you are shifting our strategic objectives. Well, yeah. I mean, the objective was always the same is to demilitarize Ukraine. Right, so but as the West militarizes it more and right. gives it more so capabilities, it's, it's, it's like okay, well, you're you're making it more lengthy a process to demilitarize it if you keep pumping new weapons in. So, yeah, the uh, the occupation zones will keep growing until Ukraine disappears. Well, you know, it's it's an interesting thing because we are literally giving Russia the excuse if you Absolutely. want to play devil's advocate to do exactly yep. what we said they wanted to do in the first yep. place. Which one could say is exactly our goal. So we're willing to do whatever we need to do to make them do what we've been claiming they're going to do all along. We've Uh, always been at war with Eurasia. Exactly. Well, we have. I can't remember a time when we haven't actually. Well, the economic wars heating up. Well, the, the, the Eurasia now too, with the addition of Iran and uh, there's, there's (laughs) another country that I can remember forgetting now but there's over three billion people now that are going to be represented by bricks yep that's a hell of an isolation well you know that's that's something that people need to realize is that you know forcing the eastern forcing the countries that we do not get along with into an alliance and Mm -hmm. you know india being in there being kind of an in, in the middle partner is is a scary thought but Forcing China and Russia together, much less the rest of the BRICS nations, is not a, to me, strategically wise move for the West. Especially no. as we're disjointed as we are at the moment. Absolutely. Yeah, The I think it it has to do with inertia. I think that much like speaking with somebody that's, let's say, 65 and older, they don't understand and don't see a difference between the USSR and Russia. To them, it's the same thing. It's never changed. It's always been the same. The people that are younger, that have experienced less USSR in their time frame, and more Russia, can look back and see the differences a lot more clearly. I think that with with what's happened is NATO and the entire Western sort of State Department machine, including the CIA and other agencies of that type. In 1991, I think they they had a bit of a crisis in Yeah, they lost all the their reason for their budget. were justified for by the USSR and and the potential threat that it posed. And so while business made tremendous profits off of the the you know, bazaar that the USSR turned into were all kinds of 
equipment and, and raw materials could be acquired for pennies on the dollar. A lot of money was made by people that were later seen as oligarchs, but also by a lot of corporations coming from the West. Let me ask you something. What mm -hmm. is the equivalent of a penny to a ruble? A penny to a ruble? Well, it, a ruble is it's 59 rubles to a dollar. So a right, ruble right, is right, right. But that's the primary Oh, the currency. old. Yeah. You mean the old? Oh, it's uh, it would be what? a kopeck. Okay. which is one one hundredth of a ruble, which in my day when I lived in Russia, like, a, you know, as a, you could buy a, a candy for maybe three kopecks. So, you know, do they even use that denomination anymore? I don't think so. I think that's been retired. That's just a historical thing. Gotcha. Um, yeah, I, I can't believe the penny has hung around as long as it has in U.S. society. I, yeah, I mean, I used to have those, like, put all the pennies in a two liter bottle until the bottle's full and then get rid of them kind of thing. Yep. I, I, I still have change buckets. I just don't do change. I haven't done change for about 10 years. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 I use do. plastic as much as possible. And if I have to use cash, I was telling them to keep the change. See, I go the other route. I try and use cash as much as possible. Why? Dirty. It has uh, less traceable. On it. It's got drugs on it. Yep. It's got your fingerprints on it. Yep. Uh-huh. Uh -huh. I don't know how that's less traceable. I just don't like cash, man. <clears throat> For Look, let's put it this way. Do I have cash sitting in a reserve somewhere? Yes, I do. Always have. But I, that's I, not cash that's used by me on any kind of daily basis. That is reserve cash. Not just in U.S. denominations either. I have other varieties of cash besides the U.S. dollar just in case. But for just day-to-day -day ordering training. food, what, to just have a variety of, but yeah, exactly. That's, just, that's basic common you? sense. Well, one would be hardly enough, wouldn't it? No, you got to have common sense enough to realize that when shit hits the fan, you ought to be a, the first one that can get out of the shit and move somewhere else. Well... And, you know, that's what it comes down to it for me is just like food storage or anything else. Mm -hmm. Some basic preparedness. You don't have to go full prep or you don't have to have years and years of food storage. First of all, if shit really hits the fan, I'm not living in this house. You know, this house yeah. is forfeit. So, you know, why would I keep food for, you know, indefinite stay? That's That just doesn't make sense. So the same sort of thing, just enough to get you by a midterm crisis and get you to where you need to be for long term. Right. Well, and that's, that's really the question is that I kind of have to think about every time I, I just ordered some more ammo the other day and I, every time I order carry? ammo, huh? how much no. can you carry? Yeah, exactly. It's the, and I, the thought I have every time I order more ammo is, well, my neighbors just got another present. You know, to an extent, sure. But you know, if I'm prioritizing what I'm carrying out of this house, mm -hmm. ammo is quite frankly, higher than food. Yeah, I can't carry all the ammo that's in the house. Well, uh, the bed of my truck can. Yeah, mine can't. Well, you don't. Do you have <laughs> well, a truck? I don't have a truck. I, I have a, yeah, I have a sport utility. But, you know, I already transported about 1,400 pounds of ammo once. Mm -hmm. And that was, I don't, I don't need to do that again. And I have a lot more ammo now. So I'll tell a story that I haven't told on the show, I don't think. Mm. So it was the beginning of the pandemic and I was, I had two places, one in Pod Station, one in Dallas at the mm -hmm. time. And I was up in Dallas and, you know, quite a few of my toys and ammo supply was up there. 
Mm-hmm. And I decided, you know, I don't really want to have to bug out of this city if shit goes bad with all of this. So I'm going to mm-hmm. go ahead and take it to another location. So I loaded up the back of the truck and covered it with a tarp and everything mm-hmm. else. And the bed of my truck, by the way, full, mm-hmm. absolutely full. And anyway, strapped the tarp down and everything else. Well, I'm on my way out of Dallas and I'm at the southeastern side of Dallas and the tarp starts flapping. I'm like, oh, oh yeah. So I pull over. And I fixed the tarp. Mm-hmm. Well, right as I'm about done fixing the tarp, a police officer pulls up behind me mm-hmm. and asks me what I'm doing. And I said, oh, the tarp had started flapping just on my way. Thanks. And he said, well, what's in the bed of the truck? Mm-hmm. None, None of, of your damn business. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, he tried to look under the tarp and I had to interdict myself between him and the tarp. Mm-hmm. And I said, excuse me, sir, can I help you? Mm-hmm. And anyway, he started asking me questions and I said, well, am I being detained? You know, mm-hmm. we go through this dance it. he says, well, you know, what, what, what's in, what, why can't I look in the back of your truck? I said, cause mm-hmm. it's none of your business and you don't have a warrant. If you mm-hmm. want to get a warrant, then you can search my vehicle. Short of that, am I free mm-hmm. to go? So he called in for a warrant, called mm-hmm. in for a drug dog. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Long story short, 45 minutes later, I was free to go. My vehicle ended up not being searched and mm-hmm. I went on with my life. You the next week wait? I bought a Tonto cover for the back of my truck. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, wait, wait, what'd you call it? A Tonto, you know, folding bed cover. A cover. What did you call it? A Tonneau cover. I, I think we're describing the same thing using different okay. words. Okay. Okay. I mean, there's no T in the middle of Tonneau. Because <laughs> that's all I'm saying. It's just a pronunciation thing. You're putting an extra T in there. Using different words. Tonto is a, that's a imaginary Indian guy. Yeah. To know is a word for it, but there's another, maybe I'm just using incorrect. I, I heard something wrong. Who knows? I don't know, man. I think when you were on the way to the nuclear plant, your tanto may have flapped around. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> anyway, that's, but, that's a good story of actually standing up for your rights. Oh, that Dave. Now I always file a complaint with the police department. Anyway, anytime that the police was annoying to me. Oh yeah, absolutely. In fact, I have a letter from the chief of police of Bryan, Texas, from when I was in college, mm-hmm. apologizing for the actions of his officers when they illegally searched my house. Mm-hmm. So we were having a party in college and uh, someone came up to me and said, Hey Ben, there's cops outside. I said, okay, well, let me go talk to him. And you know, I walked outside and you couldn't hear music or anything else, but we had a bunch of cars on the street mm-hmm. and I linked up to the cop car and no one was in it. And I was look back at the house and they're in the bushes trying to look in the windows and stuff. And I say, excuse me, Lou. And I start talking to him. I'm like, what are you doing here? Well, we had noise complaints. I said, well, I can't hear any music out here. So I don't think you did. Mm -hmm. And you know, the bullshit and I'm sober, you know, I'm with not doing Mm -hmm. anything, but having Mm -hmm. a get together and actually a little dinner thing. And we're having a hookah in the back room. And all of a sudden, one of my friend's girlfriends comes outside and says, been there in the house. Yep. And I said, the fuck? So I go back around and I go in and anyway, they, uh, they went in the backyard. They, they said the gate was open, which was bullshit. They went in the backyard and saw the hookah and through the back window and said, mm-hmm. we saw a drug pillar for Nelia, So therefore we had to enter. And anyway, I wrote up the, I immediately kicked them the hell out and said, you know, go leave now Mm -hmm. followed them back to the station bitched out the sergeant that was on went that monday 
went and saw the chief of police, bitched him out, and ended up with a, a apology because they illegally searched my house. First of all, they couldn't have seen anything from the street or even the neighbor's backyard. So they had to trespass to see anything. They had mm -hmm. no probable cause. There was no noise complaint filed. I found that out as well. And, you know, they, you just totally misbehaved. What it was, was one officer was driving down the street, saw a bunch of cars parked on the street in a college town and figured they could get a bust and yep. totally misbehaved. Yeah. Well, that's, that's typical police behavior. And I've talked about this and I think even with you multiple times that the mentality difference between a policeman and a common petty criminal is negligible. It is the same personality type that does both jobs. To an extent. I think there are good police, but I think that the days well, of officer friendly, too. the days of officer friendly have fleeted. You know, like Jack McClam. Jack McClam was a personal friend of mine. In fact, mm -hmm. he was my first employer and great guy. You know, he put out in the 90s Vampire Killer 2000. He was one of the guys that talked to the guy off Ruby Ridge, blanking on names right now. Randy Weaver. There we go. He, he helped get Randy and his family off Ruby Ridge. Great guy, great patriot, was a hell of a police officer. And, you know, he really pioneered community policing. Those are far and few between. And the fact mm -hmm. that post 9-11 and post the Iraq war, we have recruited former military so much into the policing departments is a big part of the problem. The militarization of the police that started in the 80s is a big problem. Years ago in college, I posted a meme that was a soldier in Iraq kitted out with body armor and everything, and a SWAT team member kitted out with body armor and everything. And I monochromed them so they were both black and white, and I said, spot the difference. Mm -hmm. You know, there isn't any. And, no. you know, our founders would be absolutely mortified at the standing army we have allowed to exist in our midst. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I'm not even talking about the army. I'm talking about police. Yeah, and but I think that's where that's that's a more dangerous thing because while the army is made up of people of a variety of different belief systems and creeds and you know it's far more dangerous in my opinion to arm the police than it is to arm the military. Agree. And you know but, what the hell does a police department need with an MRAP? What the yeah, hell does a police yeah. department need with bayonets? Yeah. <laughs> that is not the purpose of a police department. No, no. And they're, they're LARPing. They're playing soldier. And, uh, they, and they think they are. And they, they think yeah, civilians yeah. are the enemy. They do. They absolutely do. They have a very much an us versus them <clears throat> mentality and the us being only other people in the uniform. Yeah. Anyone uh, who's not in the uniform. Yeah. Yeah. Regardless of, of the, you know, peaceful non-criminal nature of anybody else out there but also you mentioned well i you know there there have been good police or there are good police well i've known good criminals too you know i mean <laughs> i've known people that are currently in prison that were very good people previously to being caught well i mean there are lots of different there there are lots of people who are in prison today for things that i would not classify as a crime Exactly. Like uh, drug manufacturing. Yeah. hundred percent. Mm-hmm. You so, own your body. You're responsible for what you put in it. Right. Right. Well, or, you know, if you work in Colombia, but there's a, there's definitely 
a it's a disconnect in 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 my opinion between the left and the left here because the left has been the the ones advocating and pushing for the militarization of the police but also the left is pushing for black lives matter and antifa being the norm and yeah. it's a weird weird thing because they're maybe maybe it only works in in a fictional utopia where both of those coexist at the same time but it doesn't certainly work in real life yeah, it, the the right has pushed plenty for the militarization of the police over a period of time. I mean, L.A. got its SWAT team because of conservatives, not because of liberals. And when you look at it, so there are conservatives me, in L.A. Are you kidding? In in the eighties, when they got their first SWAT team, sure. And what was driving that? Just some of the, the what was that shootout at the bank where you know the cops had their revolvers and then the uh, oh yeah, yeah the criminals yeah. had the semi-automatics and that kicked off the whole right. modernization the, of the policing. cop killer Teflon yeah. bullets and yeah, yeah, yeah. all that stuff. all that yeah. nonsense absolute nonsense and you know he, here's what I would say I think if you haven't read in the book recommendation anything by John Whitehead but mm -hmm. he's got a book about the militarization of the police it's absolutely excellent and you know, do you know, I, I think we've talked about this, but do you know why police uniforms are traditionally blue? No. So in London, where the first police, professional policing was set up, right? So mm -hmm. they were traditionally in the UK, actually it was the church, the churches. It was the different parishes that had organized civilian patrols and things like that to mm -hmm. help limit crime, investigate crime and do so. So in London, they decided we want to have a professional police force. We're going to pay people to do this. But there were fears that it would be the same as a standing army. Mm -hmm. Well, at the time, you know, the British were still wearing their red coats. So the, the originator, which I can't remember his name, but the mm -hmm. British police force decided to use blue to distinguish them from the army. Mm -hmm. To go as far away from the red color as he could. So... You know, the, the very tradition of a police uniform being blue is rooted in, we are not supposed to be a standing army yet. That is definitely what they've evolved to today. And I don't know about around there, but most of them wear black around here. Mm -hmm. That's true. You know, it's interesting. And since you brought that up, I remember in the eighties, the Russian police uniforms being green <laughs> and I just looked it up and they're all blue right now. They, I don't know if this happened in the nineties where they switch colors or what, but it seems like the standard Russian police uniform is actually blue. With the same. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. I wonder what it is <clears throat> in other countries. Like I've never been to India. What do they have for colors? Do you know? I have no idea. I just know that the blue started in London and that was the Western. Oh, brown. Well, that would make some sense. They're the, the same color as our khakis. Yeah. Well, that probably is actually derived from colonialism yeah, in the, exactly. the British expeditionary forces wearing khaki uniforms. Yep. Yeah. It, it's interesting uh, how the UK also didn't broke up their military forces from just blank military forces and expeditionary forces. And how did they do that? I'm sorry. And how did they? Uh, just for colonial periods of time, oh, you know, oh, yeah. colonial governorships, things like that, and X amount of force. 
being, you know, an occupying army versus a response army for defense and so on. So it, it was just a subdivisions. They're blue in Israel for police. Iran has black uniforms for police. Hey, so do we. Yeah. We're, so we're, we're besties. <laughs> we're just set up to be besties, matching uh-huh. uniforms. Interesting. Speaking of Iran. Yeah. Iran, China, and Russia. Yeah. Gonna stop using the U.S. dollar for trade. That, that's, yeah, that's what I said. We got three, three billion people that are in, and now I'm blanking out, in uh, bricks. Bricks, yeah. Right, but formally announcing that they're going to stop using the U.S. dollar mm-hmm. for trade amongst themselves, which is interesting. Well, that's that said, you know, the, the BRICS nations long. are. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I just I'm shocked it took that long. Yeah, the the BRICS nations though have have a a sick sister that's gonna weigh him down. Looks like what's that? China. Yeah, I don't think so. I think the Chinese economy is very close to collapse. Yeah. I don't. Just last thing about uniforms, Italians, black uniforms. Yeah, I, I think that has to do with Mussolini. No, so, I mean, I sent you two articles. One, one of the largest headphone manufacturers in the world shutting down. And then the other, going back to what I was saying a few episodes ago about the Chinese real estate market in utter free fall, like it has mm-hmm. never been before. And the, the reason why the real estate market in China is such a big deal, I mean, in the U.S., we think it's a big deal because housing costs and everything else. But it, it the 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 real estate market in China being in free fall like this is equivalent to our stock market being in free fall like this. And the reason why I say that is because most Americans have their savings, their life savings in a 401k or something like that in the stock market. Mm-hmm. The Chinese do not. They have it in real estate. So when the real estate market collapses like that, what you're seeing is the destruction of all the wealth of the middle class in China. That's a big deal. Is it though? <laughs> yeah. China has, the only reason China is the power it is today is because of the expansion of the middle class over the last 30 years. Why? Because that is their economic power. It's their manufacturing base. It is their economic power. It is the only reason why the communist government of China has survived past the USSR. Because of the middle class? Yes. You don't because of people coming out of poverty people? and their lives being so improved. <clears throat> you don't think it's just the raw numbers they have? No, because I think had Nixon not gone to China, had Nixon not started the trade with China that we have now in the West, had we not mm-hmm. given them preferential treatment in the 90s and so on and so forth, I think the communist government would not have survived much longer than the USSR. I think they would have collapsed. I think there would have been a revolt. Yeah, I think non-isolationism definitely helped China. Yep. And because Russia had a much more policy, I mean, honestly, USSR policy during the Soviet era was a lot closer to U.S. policy right now in terms of friend or foe. So, you know, we, we send money to our friend, the Ukraine, and uh, we limit all trade with people we don't like, yep. Russia. And that was more of the standard policy in the USSR, but not in China. China had, and probably thanks to Nixon, like you said, had a lot more of an open policy to where we will do trade with everybody. <laughs> we don't, not just communist countries. Yeah, and I, I think that... You know, China coming out of isolation 
and doing what they did and building up their middle class and really adopting a hybrid system. I wouldn't mm -hmm. call the Chinese truly communist. What I would call them is just despotic because they have nepotistic economies. You have to be a member of the party. You have to abide by XYZ rules. But other than that, you're fairly free, mm -hmm. economically speaking. Other than that, they're truly despotic. And, you know, the style of communism that was in the USSR and what we see in China today are not comparable, really. By no means is the Chinese system less bad, but it uh, certainly has survived better than the USSR did. And I, I really think giving the, I mean, you're, you're talking one generation removed from rice paddies mm -hmm. for the vast majority of the Chinese. So, mm -hmm. you know, that, that's a huge deal. It, anyway. it is, but I think here's, I think part of the mistake that most people in the U.S. make is that they see the slowdown in Chinese GDP growth and they think, aha, China is, is starting to fail here. They're, they're going to have a, a collapse. But the change in that GDP is from a double-digit change down to a change that is closer to the U.S. growth. And actually, China is still ahead of the U.S. in terms of GDP growth. Yeah, but what you're failing to see my point on is that I'm not worried about their GDP growth. I'm looking at wealth destruction being the, the primary problem for the Chinese economy. So yeah, I just mean, don't think that's a effect at all. If you're uh, investing in China, not outside of China, then the fluctuations that you're talking about are internal. They're not external. So. If yes, but what do Chinese you do when population was losing their investments in external things outside yeah. of China? That, what do you, what do, you do when half a billion people lose everything economically? What do you do in the U.S. when the market drops the way it has over the last year? Does everybody panic and run around like their chickens with their heads cut off? So we haven't seen a, I mean, the Chinese real estate market in the last month has dropped 30% in overall value, mm -hmm. not, not relative, you know, overall value from one month to one month, 30% drop. That is a destruction of wealth that the great depression did not see. So, I mean, we're seeing it, it, the drop in the stock market during the great depression was not what we're seeing a drop in the Chinese real estate market has. So yeah, I think during the great depression, a lot of people committed suicide. I think there I think if it was not for Roosevelt's programs and make work, which I actually think made the situation worse, you would have seen a revolt in this country. In fact, you know, Prescott Bush and ever hence Smiley Butler came really close to trying to overthrow the government during that period of time. So, you know, yeah, I, I think in this country during those sorts of economic times, you have seen damn near revolts. And I think I, 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 I don't know, maybe the Chinese people are repressed enough that they won't, but I, 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 I don't know. It, it doesn't look good to me. Well, I, I'm obviously, I don't think it's good, but I also think that it's going to have a much lesser effect than what you're thinking it will. I, I think that the, the volatility of the U S stock market has a much bigger impact on 
U.S. ability to spend and save money than the Chinese housing market losing value, which was an artificial value to begin with. Absolutely. Well, regardless, uh, you know, it, it's, it's going to be interesting to see what happens in China and if China survives or if they don't, you know, I, I, I'm hopeful that I hate to say it, but I'm hopeful that there is somewhat of an economic collapse in China just so that the, the U S doesn't get left too far behind, you know, but that's me being selfish. Well, and, and the other thing is Chinese government investments have primarily been external, not internal. So you're uh, talking about investments of Chinese populace. But if you look at government investments, those are predominantly in the West. Yeah, well, okay, but that's so dangerous the for the government. when housing market starts going down, then I will agree with you that China has a problem. Yeah, they yeah, yeah, but very heavily in U.S. real estate. Here's the thing, though. The citizenry have to be kept, uh, you know, content. They have to have their circuses and their bread. Right. And when you impoverish a citizenry and then you have this. So what, what has kept China intact? So, you know, there's always a Pareto distribution of goods there. There's an accumulation of wealth that happens. Mm-hmm. And what happens when you have wars and revolts is when that accumulation gets so tilted that so few have you know, something, and so many have nothing, all it takes is really a revolutionary to come in and spark stuff up, and then you have a revolt on your hands. So, I uh, see zero danger of that happening in China. Why? I'm not happy about it. Why? Because the Chinese government, much like the Soviet government, is pervasive. It's everywhere. There's literally a Chinese Communist Party board in every corporation in China. Okay. It, is, it is difficult for Americans to understand without experiencing it, but there, there isn't a separation between Chinese government and Chinese life and Chinese corporations. I understand that, but the, that to me would indicate that they would be very easy to blame when shit went wrong. The blame happens, it just goes in the other direction. The people that are in the company that are in the party are the last to go. The first to go are the ones that have been walking around saying, I can't believe the value of my apartment has gone down. This is bullshit. The government ought to do something about it. Oh, okay. Well, you have no job now. Congratulations. Mm. You have no house and no job. Go live on the street. Again, I'm not arguing for this as the ideal form of government. I'm just saying that's reality. Yeah, that's reality. And and they're good at it. Yeah. They have found a good balance, and the U.S. has provided them the finance to be able to pull it off. Hmm. I just don't see it happening. I, I think that a much more likely scenario, and something I was telling a friend of mine the other day, and we've kind of talked about it on the show as well, is that one of the big dangers that has already happened, like it's too late to do anything about, is by U.S. brazenly arming the next-door neighbor of Russia who has an existing conflict with them. They, the, this professional courtesy that's always existed has now been disappeared. Mm. The, it's not 
Germany sending weapons to Ukraine. It's the U S sending weapons to Ukraine. So my prediction is this, and again, I'm not, I'm not like, this is a good, bad thing. I'm not hoping for this. I'm just saying this is highly likely now that I've seen this happening. I I'm going to forecast in the next four years, the militarization and state sponsored arming of the Mexican cartels. I think we're going to have a real war in the Southwest. Well, interesting. I mean, quite frankly, I, I think there are plenty in the U.S. that wouldn't mind that because it would give us an excuse to go in. It, it, I think a lot of Republicans would actually love to see us, our military, go in and quote unquote clean up Mexico. Yeah, except it's not going to happen. Why? Because we have a shit in, in military right now. We've got a bunch of woke military people and the Gen Xers and the older millennials are leaving and or have already gone. And what's left of the military are people that believe in equity. They're people that are going to be more willing to not shoot than shoot. You know, I don't know. I, I think that is such a minority of the population I think it's a very Who's vocal our president? minority. Who's the majority in Congress? Come on. Quit pretending mm. that the liberals don't run the country. I think there's a spectrum, and I think what's driving that spectrum is the tail end of the bell curve. The spectrum goes from socialists to rhinos. Yes. That's the spectrum. All of them are on the left. Okay. I, I still think the general population is different than that. Those that are elected. And I think that the majority of voters are not position voters. They are just, oh, I like what he said in his speech. I have done mm -hmm. zero research other than that. Click. So, you know, yeah. I don't know. I, regardless, I, I think if the cartels get armed and so on, I, I think there will be. There's going to be death happening. There will be much more people dead than happened in 9-11. And unfortunately, it's going to be on our south side here. Yeah, and I think what you'll see is the National Guard called up. I think you'll see the Southern governors try and do something about that. And I they think will. if there is a... What are you going to do against MLRS systems that are shooting missiles from 100 kilometers away? Well, the... <laughs> that, would, that would be a declaration Mexico? of war. That would, that would be a declaration I, of war. Yes, yes, and that would be a big win for China and Russia. Why? Because the U.S. has got a war in its backyard, which is going to make it not participate in anything else outside of its backyard. There, I, I don't care what um, Russia arms the cartels with. M Mexico would, Mexico, Mexico would not be able to stand up against the U.S. even as much as Ukraine has stood up against Russia. There's just no way. It, it is a failed narco state at this point. It may be a failed micro state, but Mexico already kills more Americans than, you know, when we were in the Middle East. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that 100% agree, especially, especially if you take in drug overdose numbers and, and so on. And now you take and add actual military weapons and not just yeah. handheld weapons. And you're the, gonna the cartels could get their hands on anything they wanted. The, the last thing the cartels actually want is a hot war with the United States. They are very happy to operate at the level they're operating now because they're making plenty of money and they're doing whatever they want to do. Well, but that, that's my point. This Here's the difference is right mm -hmm. now the cartels have to make money by selling drugs. Mm -hmm. What if they didn't? 
What okay. if they were paid more money than they're currently making to do nothing but stir up trouble? Yeah, Russia and China don't have that much money. They do. They don't. They do. <laughs> they Absolutely. do not. What do you think the the Mexican drug cartel's GDP is? I don't know. I haven't looked it up. Well, let's do that. Let's consult the book of knowledge. All right, do it. Let's do it in real time. <laughs> On that one, gee, I'll just do it that way and see what it comes up. Five hundred billion a year. Five hundred billion. All right. Yeah. And China, China and Russia do not. Trillion. China and Russia don't spend that on their own militaries. I'm pretty sure they do. I'm pretty sure they don't. Five hundred billion. Five hundred billion with a B. Yeah. Washington Post, by the way. But Business Insider says it's only fifty billion, so we'll call it. You know, we'll call That's it fifty a billion. Gap. <laughs> yeah, it is a huge gap between the two estimates. Yep. <laughs> so just call it fifty. Okay. Well, for sure, if it's fifty, I mean, even if it's a hundred, uh, I think China and Russia spend more than that. <laughs> You're making me Google things, Gene. Well, do it. Yeah, Russia. So if it's a hundred million Russian military budget, the last so the Russian military budget in 2013 was 68 billion, and let's see, 2016 was 98 billion. Yeah, so Russia really hasn't changed. In fact, they lowered their budget recently. China is on the upward streak. They're spending around. Let's see. They're spending around 150 billion. In contrast, the U.S. spends over 750 billion. So. Yeah, no, U.S. absolutely does the biggest waste of money per ever. Purveyor of military stuff. Yeah, which our founders would be absolutely livid over what we've done, as far as that goes. Well, also, I don't think it would take all that much money to start causing trouble in through Mexico. But yeah, but I, again, I don't see the cartels as being motivated to do that because well, they know fine. the they know the response. Yeah, I'm, I mean, quite frankly, that's a good way for you know the U.S. to annex Mexico. That definitely would not happen because China owns a huge amount of property in Mexico. They would stand in the way of that. <laughs> good luck. You you start something like that, please. The, well, the U.S. I mean, almost annexed Mexico before. It would not take a lot for us to just go, just, you know what? We're tired of this nonsense. the word Mexico with Ukraine and the U.S. with Russia. And yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep. That's my government. The, the point I'm making is that this has opened the door to something like this happening. Because in the past, U.S. would never be involved in provoking a direct neighbor of the USSR. Like in Africa, fine. Middle East, fine. Southeast Asia, fine. But not in Europe, not directly adjacent to the USSR. The current Poland. stance is everything goes. Well, right, the US didn't really, didn't really provide any any military to Poland? I mean, Poland had a... We provided the very similar assistance to what we supplied the Afghanis with. I don't think there was any weapons involved, though. I think mm. in Poland there was money, for sure. There was a lot of money, and I, yeah. I'm pretty sure that was used to fund and purchase weapons. 
you know, the Afghanis we had to directly deliver, but you know, same similar set of aid. So whatever. I, I'm just giving an example where the U S yeah, and I, NATO at the time with USSR putting pressure on Poland, fighting with Poland, the, the, yeah, but you know, Poland, even before membership, we were supplying them with stuff, but not weapons. I mean, if you're supplying money that's used to purchase weapons, is there a difference? No. I mean, what weapons are you talking about? I mean, Poland had a, they had an uprising, but they didn't, they didn't, they never had any con open military conflict with Russia. The uprising is what I'm talking about, but yeah, that was okay. okay. If you're talking about AK 47s being weapons, those already were in the country. Okay. And as they were in Afghanistan, they, they weren't, they, were... they weren't shooting down Russian planes. They weren't no, it, shooting rockets at Russia. They weren't doing anything. They were literally, it was a Polish revolution, if you want to call it that. And Lech Walesa, who kind of was the face of that, ended up eventually becoming elected president of Poland after the breakup of Russia mm. or breakup of Soviet Union. Well, but it, it's, I, I think that this is a new, a new chapter in open hostilities that has never existed in the past. I think the closest we got was the USSR sending missiles to Cuba. That yeah. was the closest that either country got to putting something on the other country's steps. Wow. And that resulted in the very swift and correct, I might add, action by the United States in not just enforcing the Monroe Doctrine, but uh, in saying this is an act of war and we will treat it as such. And if you don't change things, the escalation will continue. Let's be clear, though. The missiles that Russia was placing there are slightly different than the missiles that were being placed in Ukraine today. Not really. I think the warheads are a substantial difference. Well, I mean, yeah, you're saying oh, they were nuclear missiles. I don't yes. think that that really makes any difference. You think U.S. would have been okay with non-nuclear missiles being 90 miles off the coast of Florida? I think the response would be drastically different, yes. I don't know. I don't know that any nuclear warheads were ever actually delivered to Cuba. They weren't, but they were capable of The missiles of it. were capable, yeah. of, but guess what? So are the missiles that we're shipping, or the, the uh, not the missiles, but the launch systems that we're shipping to Ukraine are also capable of nuclear. Absolutely. So well, again, what's the difference? Intent and Russia's bad. Russia's evil. Yeah, that's that's what it has to come down to. It's it's a religious argument is my point. What it comes down to is you have to have a particular belief that involves a belief in the evilness of some individual person and not in any just rational dissection of what's happening in the historical <laughs> perspective they're on. And that's, to me, that that's a dangerous line to walk down. Yeah. I do a lot of negotiating in my line of work. And the, the hardest people to try and shift to a common ground are people that have an unfathomable unquestionable belief structure because you can't use arguments and logic to sway them. You can only use people who are driven by their emotions. 
Yeah, people that are driven by their emotions. People that the, for whom the word belief isn't something that's derived out of a built set of knowledge, but something that is derived out of an almost an ethereal kind of connection with an with a universal truth. Yeah, our idea that Putin they hold is evil. How do you how do you fight that? You don't. Okay, if you believe he's evil, you're always going to believe he's evil. That's never going to change. Whether you're a an 80-year-old ex-Russian expat who only sees anybody that's in Russian government as in just inherently being evil or whether you're a, you know, somebody that's a what's the goddamn blanking out the word, the neocon CIA in the US. No, if you're a neocon. Uh, like yeah. They're like, you know, the well, Ruskies are bad. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, 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 yes, you know, it's the same sort of beliefs in the Constitution. Oh, the Constitution's the most perfect political document ever written. You yeah, know, it, it's kind of failed us. This was, I'm kind of transitioning this to the conversation we were having after the show last week. You know, we, we started talking and you said, save it for the show. So the founding of this country really was meant to be a loose association between states. I think Thomas Jefferson, you know, put it best when saying that the only powers of the federal government should be in collective defense, taxation of imports, and there's one other, but pretty much that's what Isn't he wanted. common wanted. military defense or something? Yeah, I already said collective defense, oh, okay. but yeah. yeah. Oh, <clears throat> treaties. Treaties were the mm -hmm. last one that, you know, that outside of that, that the state should be left to their own. And we yeah. were debating whether or not, you know, the states could do what they wanted and so on. And, uh, yeah, what was the example I used? I'm trying to think of what it was. You used women voting. And, yeah. Okay. And, and I said, well, under the original constitution that, you know, the federal government has no business. Now, of course, the amendment that allowed the franchisement of women says that the state shall pass no law. But the point I was making is that the founders would mm -hmm. never have ratified that amendment. And it really is a drastic yeah. difference in the way we are supposed to be governed or the way the founders intended us to be governed in the way we are governed today. And it's truly a sad, but yeah. yeah and I think where that, that conversation came from was in you saying that the, the constitution only applies to the federal government and not no, the, the bill of rights. Yeah. Oh, the bill of rights. Okay. Yeah, well, so for instance, the First Amendment says Congress shall pass no law. It says right, nothing right, about right. the states. Yeah. And the argument I was going to there was, you know, when the Constitution was ratified, and I would say this about the Second Amendment as well, mm -hmm. you know, this is about the federal government and restricting the federal government, not mm -hmm. about the states. Mm -hmm. The states have, you know, a charter of rights or something similar to the Bill of Rights in most states, right. and the state constitution limits the state government. And I think um, the example then that I brought up from that line of thinking, okay, so then you're saying as given by the constitution, including the second amendment, then any state has the right to completely limit access to firearms to its citizens. Yes. And I form, I fully believe that the yeah. federal government does not have the right to limit firearm access. The NFA should not exist based off of the second amendment. Now, if New York wants to go and ban guns in their state, mm -hmm. if they amend their state constitution mm -hmm. to allow that, then that is on them. But that's, yeah, but, that, but that's what's called a representative okay. government, right? And and then I would say, okay, well, if that's true for the Second Amendment, it should be true for the First Amendment. So Agreed. the right to freedom of speech, the yep. right to journalistic and freedoms, religion. all of those are religion, absolutely, are subject to states' rights overlying the federal enumeration of those rights. And so we well, the federal have states uh, yeah. that don't allow 
freedom of speech, and that's perfectly fine. Our freedom of religion, that's fine. The federal government and the federal constitution limits, it's a, here's the only time I have really ever agreed with Barack Obama. The constitution is a a document of negative rights. The constitution Mm -hmm. doesn't say what the government can do. It says what the government cannot do. And then enumerates the rights. And says, you know what, in the Ninth and Tenth Amendment make this very clear that any rights, anything that anything that is not listed as a power of the federal government is reserved by the states and the people. Right. But that right there, that phrase to me indicates that if it's otherwise in the document, then it is not reserved to the states. And therefore, with the freedom of religion or freedom of speech being in the constitution in the amendments then that is excluded from the rights of the states as defined by the eighth amendment nope totally disagree and especially when you look at the verbiage of the amendments and the ratification debates and what was meant you know the first amendment says it right there congress shall pass no law it's a restriction on congress that is not a restriction on the state that's the first amendment yes i'm talking about the eighth amendment okay what about the Eighth Amendment? Oh, it's not the Eighth Amendment. Which amendment am I thinking of? Let me look. It's not the Eighth. But the, I mean, you I know, think that I'm the, wondering what you're saying about excessive yeah, fines yeah, yeah. here. So, <laughs> well, where I'm, yeah, it's I mean, definitely not the Eighth. That's the wrong one. But no, the idea that I think that so that you could have a bigger argument around the con the 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 Second Amendment with the phrase of "shall not be infringed." But I would say that the understanding at the time that the Second Amendment was, and this is why, you know, Texas has a similar amendment to the Second Amendment and most states do in their Bill of Rights and Charters. Most states have something very similar to the Bill of Rights in their Constitution. Mm -hmm. And the reason why is because it was seen as necessary. If it was seen at the time that the federal government, oh, they've got this, it's it's taken care of at the federal level. No. And by the way, this is also, the founders of the Constitution also are the ones that came up with the nullification document. Mm-hmm. nullification strategy, meaning if Congress passes a law or even an amendment, even an amendment to the Constitution that infringes on states' rights, a nullific- nullification do- was the doctrine of the time used even by Thomas Jefferson at the time. So, mm-hmm. I, you know, w- I, I just, these states were supposed to be the powerful ones, not the federal government. The supremacy clause of the Constitution only applies to those powers granted to the federal government explicitly and not even implicitly. It, you know, the there was debates over the Commerce Clause, and they never imagined it would be as, as abused as it was. Patrick Henry had some great lines around that, but regardless, what it comes down to is they said, well, if the federal government gets out of the whack here, nullification is the answer. So the states were supposed to be the supreme entity in this, and the federal government was supposed to be subordinate to the states. That's why the senators were the representatives of the states and not the people. The higher house was supposed to be a representation of the states, not the people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I, I think that that could be true without the interpretation that the Constitution only applies to the federal government. I'm sorry, say that again. I don't follow. Well, I, I think that, that that the Constitution, that those rights which are enumerated in the Constitution 
are not rights granted by the Constitution. They are the rights that exist outside of the Constitution. They the, are the 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 Constitution said differently. The Constitution does not grant any rights. Right. It acknowledges rights that existed previously right. by nature so and nature's if, God. If the if those rights exist, including the freedom of speech, and the Constitution does not grant the freedom of speech, then that right should exist regardless of the state constitution as well. Absolutely. And here, here's what people need and to understand. And therefore, the states cannot ban the freedom of speech and cannot ban but the They can amendment. ban it, but it's, it is your duty at that point to disobey unjust laws. Any immoral law, it is the duty of the citizenry to disobey. Okay, well, now you're just getting into a different topic. I'm just saying, the point I'm trying to make is that I don't think, and again, I'm not a you know scholar of the Constitution by any means. I'm not Barack Obama. But I don't think that this works if the Constitution says that you have the freedom of religion as a U.S. citizen, but not as a citizen of the state of Wyoming. Well, but here's the thing. The Constitution doesn't grant those rights. So what you it, have to understand... It enumerates rights that exist. Right. So what you have to understand is the philosophy of the founders was that the rights, I mean, the Declaration of Independence, all of this, the philosophy mm -hmm. of the founders were was that it does not matter what government said. Exactly. These rights exist. We are, we are going to exercise these rights. Yep. So by saying that the Congress shall pass no law, they're saying that our government is never going to trample on these rights. Mm -hmm. A state government is different. You know, Thomas Jefferson, you can look at his and Hamilton's debates on federalism and mm -hmm. what the powers of the federal government were supposed to be. You can read the ratification debates. You can look at this. And it was very clear that, you know, other than guaranteeing a Republican form of government in each state, the the anti-federalists were of the mindset that the federal government should not interfere inside a state. It makes no sense. Why does it make no sense? Does it make sense? Why bother having any conversations about or any enumeration of rights at the federal level if the federal level ignores the state level? If, well, how is there a consideration of states that have, like, if you have, let's go back to the original 13 colonies, you have 13 states that decide rather than being independent countries want to form a, a union with each other not a not a treaty but a union if well, that if, only came out of the revolutionary war and the continental congress beating the british and them wanting to not get picked off individually yeah well that's for whatever the driver was they did it so if you agree to have not just independent states with treaties with each other, but a centralized form of government in existence, then the only things that, that should be federal laws should be laws which all the states agree on. You shouldn't place any laws, like take EU as an example right now. There shouldn't be an EU law, let's say against marijuana, if 
the Netherlands is part of the EU because that's not something that all the states in the EU agree on. That's yes. something that so, only some of the states want. And this is why we started off with the Articles of Confederation, and it was very, very limited. And this is why mm -hmm. when we moved to the Constitution, people like Thomas Jefferson were so insistent on that the only powers that the federal government should have are around collective defense, trade, and mm -hmm. treaties. Yeah. That's it nothing else and and i would be fine with that and if, if the bill of rights did not exist then there's nothing that would prevent the states from enacting their own constitutions that have vastly different regulations on speech religion and other topics states already do have vastly different regulations on speech and guns and everything else and it, you know it, it really I, I don't believe in the supremacy of the federal government, and that's why I'm trying to be as intellectually honest about this as I can, because, you know, I think a lot of people use the Second Amendment and everything else and want mm -hmm. government power when it's convenient for them to bludgeon the states. But no, no, the state is the supreme law in many, many aspects with very few okay, overriding well, circumstances. Even, even back when that was the case, which I don't believe it is today, but even I think Lincoln completely nerfed that whole thing. 100%. That's why but, he is the worst president we've ever had. Yeah, yeah, and I don't disagree. But and George W. Bush is a very even, close second. <laughs> even even prior to this existing, right? Even uh, in the, the 1700s, there has to be a mechanism for removing a state then. Because what if the state has laws completely contrary to what the other states agreed to join a union for. So the clause in ensuring a Republican form of government could be used in that, meaning that if a state refuses to have a Republican form of government, and when I say Republican, I don't mean they are Republican. I mean little yeah, are yeah, Republican. If they get a despot in there or something. Right. Kind of like you know, Louisiana. California. Kevin Newsom mm -hmm. would be a great example of that. I, I think that that could be used to justify either removing the state and or you know, declaring war and taking over the state because, you know, now if you believe but under what law under the constitution, yeah. Under what law in the constitution, under the allowed? clause that the federal government must ensure a Republican form of government in all states, which where's that? Do you want me to actually go find it in the constitution? Well, I can search for that phrase if it's in there. I mean, it again, is. I'm not the, I'm just asking questions. I'm not the constitutional scholar here. I'm, I'm not the constitutional scholars that Barack Obama is. All right. Yeah. Um, section four, the United States shall guarantee to every state in this, in, in this union, a Republican form of government shall protect each from against evasion. Da, 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 da. This is mutual defense clause and four. So yeah. And against domestic violence. Da, 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 da. Guaranteed to the state. Uh, Article four. Or, yeah, Article Republic four, section four. Government. So. Isn't that federal supremacy? No, it is a narrow window of, I mean, the, the supremacy clause saying that the, the constitution is the supreme law of the land is federal supremacy, but it's limited to the powers granted in the constitution. Mm -hmm. So if you believe the Supreme Court post the civil war, the constitution is a death pact meaning that we have to stay together no matter what, How, and that secession is not a constitutional right, 
to that, I would say, well, so when are we rejoining the UK? Because this, <laughs> this, this country was founded through the Declaration of Independence, which was a document of secession. So anyway, it is what it is. Yeah, well, it, it is what it is, but I, I think that if you, if you have a, it opens up a lot of questions because in my mind, because either you have federal supremacy or you don't, because by having a federal supremacy saying that you, you're not allowed as a state to change your form of government away from representative republic a Republican form of government. And if you do, then you are, you're potentially going to be forced to change it back by the federal government. So right? the founders would have it, let's say, let's say in 1801, mm -hmm. the New York decided to be the despotic state that they are today. I think the founders would have been shocked. They, you know, the nation's capital is still in there and everything else. And I think that they would have started to really, really look at, do we want New York to maintain, be part of this union? And I think quite frankly, New York probably would, could have said, you know what, we want to go it this way. We're going to be on our own and we, we dissolve all ties with the fledgling United States. I think that could have happened. I think in the 1830s, it damn near happened. Uh, I think when John C. Calhoun wrote South Carolina expositions and protests, I think the abominable tariffs really started to push the South in that way. And the South finally did say, we no longer want to be part of this. So, you know, I think the right to secession existed well before the Civil War. I think it exists today. A great book on the subject is, was Davis a traitor? You know, that that was his lawyer's defense of Davis, even though he was never Jefferson charged with Davis. treason. I'm sorry. Jefferson Davis. Yes, Jefferson yeah. Davis, president mm -hmm. of the Confederacy. Not everybody knows what Davis you're talking about. Okay, fine. Anyway, my, my, my point is the federal government is not intended, was not intended to be a strong federal government. There is no policing power in, in the Constitution for the federal government. Yeah, that's for sure. So, you know, how, how is the federal government supposed to enforce laws if they have no policing power. The reason why they have no policing power is because they were never meant to have the regulatory authority that they have today. Yeah. Well, and I think that the argument about closer to the civil war about slavery was also used as a, that slavery is inconsistent with Republican government. Meaning. Yep. It's not a representative government if some of the populace is not represented. Well, again, I don't believe in slavery except at the individual level. So I don't think a race should be enslaved. But I think if you're a free person and I decide yeah, to sell myself. But what's a race of just a bunch of individuals? Well, if you decide as a free person, if you decide I want to sell my body into slavery, mm -hmm. you should have that right. I totally agree. That is the only form of slavery that I think is moral and okay. Mm -hmm. Short of that. You know, enslaving someone that you captured or, oh, they're an inferior race, so, quote unquote. I well, don't believe okay. that. So but, you know, doing capture, those things, I don't think it's moral. I think capture is a little, little grayer. It's not black and white because in my, at least in, in the exploration of the topic, let's say, maybe not mm -hmm. directly my opinion, but more of what I've read on the matter is that the concept of capturing and enslaving somebody is in lieu of murdering them 
Okay. Well, because the original tenant, which we talked about in the previous show, and that I happen to be a believer in personally, is that when you cross the line of being willing to take somebody else's life or lose your own life, that that there should not be any artificial bullshit restrictions placed on war. Yeah, we all know you believe in Mike Nick's right. I do. Yeah. Good. I have a different nuanced view, so there's yeah. that. Yeah, that's that. But the point of is, let's say if you were to offer somebody who you're holding a gun to on the battlefield the choice of would you like this to be your last day or or will you willingly become my slave? Well, that's well, is that a legitimate choice, no. or should you just shoot them every time? I I I would say neither. It would be the it's not an uh, object. It's one or the other. Okay, well, that's a Hobbesian's choice. That's that's coercive. It's not. It's it not is a coercive, legitimate but choice. it is a free choice. The person no, you're giving them choice. more. I, it is free I have, choice. Uh, let me die or let me live as a slave temporarily till I can escape. Hmm. Live you know, free or die. Live free or death. Right. One hundred percent. If yes. if you believe, then you've made that choice already, and your answer is always going to be shoot me. Absolutely. Right. But that's yes. your choice. But not everybody needs to think like you. Some people will say, no, 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 no. I'm perfectly happy being a slave as long as Most I'm alive. People. Most people. Okay. But why would Most you force them to, to, why would you take that choice away from them? I'm not saying that I would, but if I. If you give it, them that I choice, was, then if there I was is the a person holding the gun, this. I would never give them that choice because I am not going to take a slave in any form or fashion. Well, that's again, your choice. Yep. But now you want, would you prevent others from making a different choice? I, I, I don't believe slavery should be instituted among men. I don't, I think a free person having the right to sell their body in whatever way that mm -hmm. looks like it's their body. It's their choice. I, I think I believe in that, but, well, but no. you're denying the, you're denying the ability for people to sell their bodies in trade for their life. If you just say that that's not a, that's not a choice. Well, I would say that in a normal societal, so normal society, not one at war. Why are you threatening to kill them? Why, are, why society, are you committing a criminal you act? Be. Oh, you should, yeah, no, I'm saying this is purely for war gain slavery. But why would you, why would you want it? So we are not in the Roman era. We're moving towards it. <sighs> yes, but I, I hope we've evolved out of that. Why would you want to enslave a population that will inevitably rise up against you? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I agree with that. But that's a, that's a long-term problem, not a short-term problem. The cleanest Let's be thing is, is the, the cleanest way is of course, extermination. There is no, there, there's no slavery and there are no prisoners captured. You know, it's funny in the uh, book series that I've been reading, Red Rising mm -hmm. on I still, of course, haven't started it because I'm on book four, but the, the golds that conquered earth. So, uh, you know, Wait, there were golds or golds, golds, gold, as in the color gold. Okay. Yeah. The oriates when they, the oriates or the ori oriates as in, okay. this sounds Latin a lot like the names, at least there's something a hell of a lot like Stargate. Eh, no, I don't think so. Are you a Stargate fan or not? I can't yeah, remember. Yeah. 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 Anyway, when they conquered Earth and conquered the normal humans, the non-genetically modified humans, they sterilized them all. 
mm-hmm. instead of instead of you know just genociding them all. They sure. they just forcibly sterilized the entire population so that in a yeah. generation they were just gone. And the well, only that's, that's not a bad race of humans either. that were yeah. left were the were the members of the society. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that 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 seems a little despotic and dystopian to me, Gene. Well, it is dystopian, but I I think again we're there's a difference between war and peace. And I think war has different rules that only kick in when you're at war. You, if you act in a manner such as you would during a war in times of peace, you are a criminal. But if you act in the way, in the matter of war during a war, you're not a criminal. Well, the Nuremberg trials and other I think that yeah I think the they would disagree I also think that the Nuremberg trials are bullshit because putting people on trial for actions during a war while at peacetime is really just a marketing show it's it's just to demonstrate that hey we won we can do whatever we want with these people it has nothing to do with justice justice would have been to shoot them on sight that would have been justice putting well, together Nuremberg trials. That's a showpiece. Yeah. To an extent, but it was a showpiece for a reason. It was also to highlight America what had, had been done during the war. Now our war yeah. crimes were not highlighted at all. It, you know, that's what, what we, was, won. Yeah, we won, we won, man. That's why I'm saying it's a show trial. I, I, I understand and agree. I mean, more, more German soldiers died in allied, allied prisoner yes. war camps yeah. than a, throughout the entire World War II conflict. So, yes. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I, 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 I think that history is written by the victor. I think that there are victor's rights that are taken. I would just say I don't think Prima as a modern human, slavery should be one of them. But, you know, again, you well, know, people sign I, slave contracts all day long, all, all the time. It, so Exactly, exactly. And I, I've always made the argument that if you think you're actually free, then you ought to have the right to do with your body as you will, whether that means selling into slavery, whether that means killing your body with drug use. All those are choices that you should be allowed to make on your own. If you're not allowed, you're not truly free. Or euthanize yourself, whatever. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, you know, the, the whole argument around abortion and birth control everything else that's going on, you know, doctors refusing to perform hysterectomies and things like that on women that mm-hmm. say they want it. I, I, I think the doctor is free to refuse, but I would say, yeah. you know what? Let them. Oh, totally. I think whether it's chemical castration, whether it's hysterectomies or any other form of, you know, preventative measures are perfectly fine if the people electing them are of adult age and are making an uncoerced choice to have that happen. Okay. So where do you stop with, okay, this is mental illness at this point. Do you allow someone who wants to amputate their leg to amputate a healthy limb? Yeah. I think that was uh, one of the stories of uh, Marquita Saad had. Yeah. I mean, honestly, there's no reason not to, it's their body. It's their choice. They're if, obviously if they're mentally paying, ill. I don't want to pay for that operation. Do we want to have a red flag law on that? Is that what you're proposing? No, actually, I'm oh, just, really? I'm, I'm pushing the conversation because I actually tend to agree with you 
that as long as someone can pay for it themselves yeah. and find someone who's willing to assist them, then they should be able to do whatever they and, want to their body, well, whether that's examples. a sex change or yeah, you know, exactly. splitting your tongue to look like the reptile you want to look like or whatever it is. Yeah, I mean, I, I see body modification, like tattoos, yeah. earrings, yeah. piercings, things like that. I see that no different than a sex change. If you're willing to yeah. do it and you yeah. want to pay for it, go for exactly. it. Exactly. Exactly. I, I don't have any interest in doing any of those things myself to my body, but I, I don't completely, have any Yeah. I completely have no problem with people doing body modifications on their own. Yeah. And most of them just make them look dorky but some of them i mean some i've seen some gorgeous tattoos i've seen some mostly crappy other body modifications with various metal pieces inserted mm -hmm. into your body but i've also seen some that are holy shit that's amazing yep so, you know i mean anyone who is against you know for instance people who are you know think it's you know it's self-mutilation to change gender or whatever else a lot of those people have no problem with tattoos, have no problem with mm -hmm. ear piercings, have no problem with circumcision, have no problem mm -hmm. with breast implants, you know, so you're okay with this body modification, but not mm -hmm. that. It, it, the, 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 the biggest problem I have with our society today is the lack of intellectual honesty and consistency. Oh, totally. And this goes back to the constitution conversation and everything else. I, I, I well, try to be very consistent jump, in my opinions. Before you jump to the constitution, but oh, so as, as, as far as the uh, circumcision, that's, I, I think that there's nothing wrong with circumcision. If the person is making that decision on their own, and I don't like the idea of, you know, forced child circumcision. I like, completely agree. That is a, I understand why it happens. It's a tribal identification is how it started. And, and yeah, you well, know, it was codified in religious texts as a result of I, that. I don't understand the Christians that do it. Well, I, I mean, Jesus was circumcised. Okay. Jesus was also a Jew. I'm not a Jew. Exactly. Well, maybe that's, that's your problem. No, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, I, I refuse to do that to my son. Yeah. I, you know, I'm not going to remove my daughter's clitoral hood. So why would I mm -hmm. do that to my son? I, I don't see it as any different. And when you look at the amount of circumcisions that end up botched and cause massive issues and, or, mm -hmm. you know, some cases of doctors deciding, well, since we, you know, cut the dick off, why don't we just met force this child to grow up as a, a female and, you know, they end up committing suicide and so on. Yeah. No, I, no, thank you. Yeah. I, I think if somebody wants to do that and like that wouldn't circumcision be a perfect, like entering manhood kind of, event uh, no. if you were of a particular religion you know what's funny is my cousin i had a cousin that ended up having some complications because apparently he didn't know how to wash mm -hmm. and he ended up having to get that done at <laughs> like age 10 or 12 mm -hmm. and that was horrible i mean he, mm -hmm. he was in a wheelchair for days because oh just, yeah i mean bad but again uh, if it's your choice and if you are of a religious persuasion that is you know into having a common form of body modification in your tribe slash religion. And that's fine. That's fine. Yeah. I see nothing wrong with that. Same thing for women. I mean, there's big, so, oh, you're, they're making girls do this. Yeah. I'm against parents doing this to their children. I'm not against women doing it to themselves. Yeah. And I think, so I'm an advocate for parental choice, but 
I, and I would not stop a parent. And let me put it this way. I would not stop a parent from circumcising their child or, you know, cutting off their daughter's clitoris. I think parental right is, is supreme there. But what I would say is I think both practices are equally horrible. The problem I have is the feminists that say, oh, you know, female circumcision is horrible and wrong, but, mm -hmm. you know, I, I, I don't want to anything to do with a circum uncircumcised male. Well, yeah, you know, well, the, they, don't, they don't need to because nobody fuck them anyway. <laughs> true. True. Yeah. Mm. There, there's a, there's a new YouTube channel I found of this. I think she's in her early twenties, at least visually. I think she's past college age, but this American chick that's living in the UK and she did a video that talked about Jordan Peterson and how, like, you know, reading his stuff totally changed her life. But she is doing these kind of feminism is a cult, prove me wrong kind of videos. <laughs> and, you know, she's not well-spoken like a lot of, you know, older people that are doing this. She's, she's not a, a, a Ben, right? She's a... I'm not sure which Ben are you talking about. Oh, oh, sorry. Yeah, there's a lot of Bens around. Ben Shapiro. She's not like a Ben Shapiro, you know. I didn't think you were talking about me, of, so you yet, know, no. I wanted to make sure. No, I'm, I'm talking about that super <laughs> smart guy. Yeah. Ouch. <laughs> <laughs> hey, at least I, I, at least my speech pattern isn't, you know, 90 plus words a minute. Yeah. I mean, you don't even have to play them back on 25% of fast speed at all. Anyway, but she is definitely hitting a demographic that most people are not which is you know slightly post-college females in the uk and so she has had like you know women that are going through law school or women that are just starting their professional careers so they're you know they're all kind of full of life possibilities thoughts and they're, they're all feminists and then doing somewhat similar to a stephen crowder Way, version of that where she does she has done the research and she has her facts and so when the old well you know women only make a, you know 75 cents on the dollar versus men that's actually bullshit and yep. the reason that people think that's the case is because of reasons one two three and four and it mostly has to do with choices that are different for men and women because guess what men and women are different yep because women drop out of the workforce to have children because they place a higher value on as having children than men as they're, they're somewhat powerless to be because they have been genetically selected over millennia. And in fact, over much longer than millennia, over a million years plus to care about children because the ones that didn't, didn't get to reproduce. Well, I mean, it's even longer than that because, you know, mammals are all, there, there are no mammals that are a cloning species. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. In yeah. fact, but the there are some species of life, where the females are the ones that leave the nest and go hunting, and and the males don't really hunt. <laughs> Lions um, is a good example of that. Yeah, they're still the ones that carry the children. The only species I can think of where the male carries and gives birth to the children is as a seahorse. Yeah, yeah. See, I think well, if if you're going down to that that kingdom so way outside of mammals i think there's actually a few of them and then of course we have the platypus that is which is a mammal that lays eggs and has been a only the males only the males have been. yeah but i'm but i'm serious when i say you know the platypus is proof that god has a sense of humor you know mm -hmm. 
I think um, Foxbuzz is just the proof that there were spare parts left over. It, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh. Let's see if we can make something out of this. Yeah, yeah. So before we get too far off of this topic, did you see that Twitter banned the word groomer? I just heard about it, which yeah. I think we should have some campaigns to get Twitter to ban other words because clearly this worked so well. Yeah. Well, I mean, calling it a slur against LGBT. QIA, whatever the mm. current acronym is, is just insanity. Uh, we should just, let's, let's so call pedophiles those people, don't exist. You, well, let's, uh, let's get the know. word pedophile banned. Let's get the word sexual predator banned. I mean, I think we just need to start using these words more frequently when referring to liberals and Twitter will ban the word. Mm-hmm. That's mm. apparently all it takes. Well, I mean, at, at some point there has to be some. Groomer is so non-specific in general. I always thought that, that was kind of a pussy word. Why, yeah. why don't you just actually call them a pedophile instead of I, calling them a groomer? Because it was trying to be non-offensive. When uh-huh. I mean, my God, if you think that someone's <laughs> doing that, why are you worried about being offensive to them? Uh-huh. Exactly. Uh, you know, I really, you know, Adam on the last no agenda kind of poo-pooed a John's take on the teachers and everything, but. Mm-hmm. I think it deserves highlighting. I think that there, yes, yes, Adam, we've all been aware of this for a long time, but you know what? There are a lot of people who are not. You got to push that. Anyway. And I think that there's a, there's a mentality there that assumes that parents should and do leave their children to learn about topics that have nothing to do with reading, writing, and arithmetic in school that, and I, I think that's a false belief. I think that honestly, most parents just treat school as babysitting. It's government paid babysitting services. Well, so I was working with this guy. I I won't use his name because I don't want to disparage him. Definitely don't. Yeah. He, he, we were sitting around a conference room having, there was lunch brought in and he was bringing up how teachers aren't paid enough. May my God, they raise our kids. And I just looked at him and said, Maybe yours, and maybe that's a problem. Yeah. You know, but the, a lot of people look at it that way. Teachers really? are raising our kids. The fuck is wrong with you if the teachers Why would you are raising trust your kids? that to somebody else? Or, or, okay, so I think there is a legitimate way to look at it because, hey, Catholic schools have been raising Catholics' kids for a long, in more religious, or I, just, I don't know, more religious is the right word, in, more, in certain Jewish sects, children are very much raised. and so on. Yeah. Well, well that, that's just for older, older men, but no, I mean, there are certain religious groups, which very much want their children to be taught a certain way, not the general public school way. Yeah. I, I still that's, don't think that's, that's raising the kid. I think it's a certain education and so on, but raising your kid yeah. to me denotes that, oh, so the only discipline that the child gets is from the school. The only direction mm-hmm. the child gets is from the school. You know, the idea that. I guess you, know, you have to define the word raise. What does that mean in the context of a kid? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, to me, it's just anyone who sends their child to anyone who outsources the child's education to the point where the child literally spends more time at the school than they do around mm-hmm. and with their parents is a problem to me. Personally. Although technically I kind of fit that category because I was very much a latch lock kid, latch kid, Latchkey. whatever the fuck the word is. Yeah. See, you, you make fun of my pronunciation of things, but then you I don't even know I can't remember latch-key. things because I have a shitty memory. That's all. Yeah. It's, it's because I was, you know, picked up by the school bus at seven thirty in the morning or whatever. And then 
I was at school and then after school, the bus would drop me at home. Parents were still at work. I would get my bike and then ride my bike to any, anywhere from, you know, a mile to 15 miles to visit a variety of friends or go to a mall or hang out wherever. Well, then, an adolescent, I don't think that's a problem, but as yeah. you know, a grammar school aged kid, that's where well, I, I mean, I was doing that at, at like 12, 13. Okay. That's still adolescent versus, okay. you know, yeah. a five yeah, or I mean, six year old. Honestly, my parents were working pretty much since I was nine years old. Hmm. Like both of them were working. I, I was raised very differently than that. But I know. Yeah. I know. That's why it's, it's kind of a neat contrast in, in our education. And I, I. Also, though, I by the age of 10. for my kid, more of what you had. You know, for, by the age of 10, I would be, I would go, you know, take my gun and go for a hike or go do whatever right. for, you know, all day, depending on the circumstances. But, you know, that was, if, you know, very different though. Yeah. You weren't in school. That was a difference. I, but I did a lot of schooling. Yeah, you know, exactly. Exactly. No, I'm not saying that in the bad way. I'm saying that in the good way. It's yeah. like, you didn't have to go to an institution. You had parents that took care of that. Now, was it mostly your mom or your dad? Oh, mostly my mom. My dad did a lot though, too. You know, when we started as a young child, when we were living down at the beach, we actually had a garage apartment, you know, above the a detached garage. Mm-hmm. And we set that kind of up as the schoolhouse. So it was leaving the house and somewhat structured. Mm-hmm. But, you know, by the time I was, by the time I was doing like eighth grade stuff, it was really, okay, here, here's the subjects you need to cover. Here's the progress you need to make. And really me reading textbooks, me reading supplemental material, doing some early video and stuff. Wh- through you were the living up in, in Montana back then? Idaho. Yeah. Or Idaho? Yeah, yeah. yeah Idaho. And uh, we did some stuff through a Becca Academy and, you know, where they had had classrooms videoed and stuff like that and Mm -hmm. teachers describing things, which was helpful. Some wasn't the, the hardest concept I ever had to get was irrational numbers. And that just took Mm. me forever to click with. Well, that's because they're not real. Well, exactly. And it just math joke right there. Pi be rational. (laughs) I'm just envisioning a cartoon in my head. Um, Mm -hmm. But no, that, that was a really hard concept for me and it took me a while. But other than that, you know, by the time I was a teenager, it was very, very self-guided and going down rabbit holes in many ways. But every time you talk about your childhood, I just, I, I, I picture this like Huckleberry Finn, Tom Sawyer kind of, you know, torn gene kind of running around the woods and doing yeah. questionable things, but nothing too bad. Just. Yeah, kind of, you yeah. know, <laughs> you, not far off. I mean, when I was 10, I decided that I wanted a buzz cut so I didn't have to comb my hair, you know, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. I, I, I was a boy scout, you know, did lots of things, you know, we so you know how to tie knots. Yeah. 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 And, you know, me, me and me, me and my friends were, we, we did a lot of questionable things. So at around age 10, one of my best friends, they had a farm and everything and his dad had taught him how to weld. So oh, we, wow. we had just watched the three musketeers movie that came out mm-hmm. in the nineties. And so we decided we wanted to make, you know, a musketeer short. So we took some, just, it was just some bits of iron and stuff and fashioned these blunt, you know, round it, just, you know, mm-hmm. steel, steel bar swords. That hurt. Oh, we beat the crap out of each other with them. Damn. 
Yeah. And then we, we would set up traverses, but they had a traverse at their house. I had one at my house. So we'd do stuff like that. You know, we, there was a waterfall not too far from my house. We'd hike down there and play around that, go hunting, fishing, just, yeah. I think that's extremely healthy. Did you, do you happen to listen to Tina and the Keeper? Yeah. So, uh, (laughs) Curry and the Keeper. Curry and the Keeper. Yes. Did you listen to the last episode? When was the last episode? So the, the story was from Adam's childhood where he was talking about living in the Netherlands when he was a kid outside of Amsterdam in a kind of a agrarian village. And, and one of the, maybe I don't remember or, the story. Okay. So go ahead. And one of the Dutch traditions they had was there was some day during the year where the kids were allowed to like make noise and wake everybody up early that day. And I'm sure there's some historical connotation for it, but Adam was talking about how as living in this village, you know, he and the kids enjoyed that tradition and, and each year they would want to escalate it slightly. And then at certain age, they were old enough that they discovered that farm chemicals can be used to make <laughs> explosives, which would be pretty loud and wake people up. And then they discovered those explosives, if you mixed the right chemicals could actually blow things up. Mm-hmm. And so they started blowing up all kinds of things because it mm-hmm. was fun because that, that's what boys do. I don't think I've and, listened to this episode. Yeah. And, and that, that is how Adam ended up in jail <laughs> is because they were picked up for blowing up street signs yeah. and he and the rest of his little crew ended up spending the night in jail to teach them a lesson. So the, the police, you know, let them go after that. And obviously the police called everybody's parents to said, Hey, we're going to teach these boys a lesson. So don't pick them up until the morning. Yeah. And back then parents would actually say, that's a good idea. Yeah. 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 Well, today they would be suing the police department for holding their kids longer than 10 minutes, which is a problem. And, you know, I, 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 I remember a story my dad was when, you know, he was teaching me lessons that he, you know, didn't want me to repeat about one of his friends getting pulled over by a cop because he was driving drunk down at the beach, which highway 87 going down to crystal beach is a long, long straight road. And it's surrounded by marsh. And what the cop did was say, you know what? You don't need to be driving. So he took his keys and threw it out in the marsh. And he said, when you're sober (laughs) enough to find them, you can drive. Yep. And uh, you know, but today that cop would be, you know, they have no choice, none but to arrest them and had the cop done something like that to someone today, Mm -hmm. they'd get sued. Yeah, no, it's almost safer for the cop to tase the person and throw them in the back of the cop car with, you know, chains on than it is to throw their keys away. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. But of course, also the cop would do that just as you walked out of a convenience store and on your way to your car, because you clearly have an intent of driving. Yeah. Well, again, you, you know where I stand, all the drunk driving laws and you, the intent is the, the way they use intent is really bad at this point. In my mind. I don't like intent in any laws. It, it, no. it, it generally shows, but I haven't crime. done anything yet. Yes. And just because you may be thinking of something or you may not be, how the hell do they know? And just because you're acting in the matter that is maybe demonstrating some intent, it doesn't mean that you would do that. Like, you know, plenty of people want to murder their wife at some point in time after the way that their wife acts. Most people don't actually go through with it. 
little tiny little sliver of a percent actually do, but the vast majority don't. And that goes for wives murdering their husbands as well. Hmm. Um, if you were to start booking people based on their actions and suggesting that they may be wanting to murder their, their spouse, there'd be a lot of people in jail for no good reason. Don't you think? Uh, yep. I, I think there's a lot of people who are in jail because of crappy pre-crime laws all the time. And yeah. uh, again, I'll go back to the definition of a crime. Intent to distribute a controlled substance. Yeah. Well, that, that shouldn't be anything called a controlled substance, but regardless, a, a, a crime is harm to one's property, liberty, mm -hmm. or self. Anything short of that mm -hmm. isn't a crime. How about sedition? I, I, I don't think sedition should be a crime. Mm -hmm. I agree with you. I think that, that there ought to be plenty of, and incidentally, if I want to, people think, oh, you're just, you know, you're, you're kissing Putin's ass. I think that the, the new legislation that came out post invasion of Ukraine is absolutely horrible in Russia. The prevention of people's expression of discontent with the, the uh, military actions, it's understandable why they wanted to ban it, but it's horrible that they actually went through with it. Like preventing people from demonstrating against the war is a very authoritarian tactic. Yeah. And it, it makes the country look more like the way the West wants to paint it. Well, which is, but the West did that in the 60s during the Vietnam War. And that was wrong as well. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, what did Kent State was a great example of, you know, us being I, pretty despotic. I remember during Desert Shield and Desert Storm in 91, walking around selling buttons that said, make money, not war. Mm -hmm. And having both the lefties and the righties be pissed off at me. Yeah, well, you know, what I would say, it, Iraq is actually, so I, I'm going to say something that I'll get you to disagree with me on, and okay. then we can do a couple more things. But So I think it was a moral imperative at one some point in time. I don't know that it should have been when we did it or why we, the justification we used, but we needed to take Saddam Hussein out as the United States. Why? And the reason why is because we were morally responsible because we were the ones who put him in there. Well, there, there's some truth to that, but we put in an awful lot of dictators over there. Yeah. Years. And we have a moral responsibility to go in and correct those, those, those problems. So really to be consistent with your moral thought, we should be coming in and taking out Zelensky right now. Absolutely. Because he was absolutely put in there by the answer. And you know, what we should do is we should also make amends with Iran and apologize for propping up the Shah as long as we did. We should, you know. Yeah, we should do a lot here. Yeah, absolutely right. I think um, that it's a complicated issue. That I would love to somebody to point me towards a study or maybe just some historical text that shows a country that has embraced the change in government of its neighbors instead of trying to push back on those changes. Like when, and it doesn't have to be something as big as China going communist. It could be some African countries or something. But when there's a revolution, when the government changes, you may be, we're friendly with the previous government, but I think there's something to be said for instead of like pledging your undying loyalty to the previous administration, 
to just say, well, the will of the people in that country has shifted, or maybe the, the disinterest of the people has now been expressed in a new despot coming along, because I believe every country has the government it deserves. But is there a country ever that has embraced that change quickly and recognized that change right away versus holding on to the, well, the, the actual ruler in, you know, the, what's the phrase? It's like the government in exile, I guess is the phrase. Well, we're going to still hold the government in exile as the official government of that country rather than the new government. That it- I mean, you could talk about the Jacobins and I think you could talk about the French Revolution. So was, did everybody recognize the French Revolution and the new government very quickly? Or did uh, somebody? Fairly. Yeah. And I think they recognized Napoleon fairly quickly as well. They did that, yes. So, you know. But I wonder how much of that was strategic because they they weren't particularly friendly with the governments that were replaced versus simply just going along with whatever the new government is. Yeah. I'd well, be I don't think, so I'm, I don't I'm think not, accepting again, Napoleon I'm, was a very good strategic move, but you know. Well, I, I, I don't know that it would have been better to not recognize Napoleon. I mean, I don't think it would have been good to not recognize Hitler either. I mean, you, it, it's like, this is reality. If you don't recognize reality, if you fight reality, you, you tend to be either sucked into a conflict, which you have no business being in or have some other adverse actions happening. Well, yeah, I mean, the UK recognized the, the Confederacy. In fact, there was a Confederate embassy in London. Mm-hmm. So, hey, Gene, yeah, I, I've got some good news. Legitimate. What's that? I have an ultralight ABB on the way. No way. Yep. You finally scoured the planet and you found the one I last unit that was available. Dude, I, so there are a couple on eBay, but they're going mm-hmm. for used 800 something bucks. That's new, insane. New, they're going for over 1200 bucks. There's still some new available. Wow. I, I tried to get a, a, there was a 624 AVB, which is, mm-hmm. doesn't have the wireless capability, but has pretty much everything else. I lost that bid earlier in the week mm. and I, I almost paid 450 bucks for that, which would have been too mm. much. But anyway, yeah. but yeah, I found one on Craigslist in New York. Oh my God. For 500 bucks. And he offered to ship it for 525 and do pay. Mm. And I just got confirmation of shipping. That's, it well, it's cheaper than what I paid new. So. Yeah, and it looks brand new, man. He's got the box wow. and everything. Apparently, he was doing some gigs and that stuff. So, yeah. Hmm. So, woohoo. I, well, I, congratulations. We'll, we'll see how happy you still are when you have to learn how to configure it. <laughs> I don't think it'll be a problem. Oh, okay. Okay, Mr. Math and Science. We'll see. Hey, you know what? I've dealt with switch configurations and patch panels and virtual mm-hmm. patch panels and things like yes. that a and, lot. And this makes it. Just all those look like child's play. Okay. I, I, I'll have to show you some of the lab configurations I've okay. done all where, right. you know, automated switch switching and patching changes based mm-hmm. off of lab environmental conditions. So, yep. Yep. Same That's, sort of thing. We'll, you know. we'll, we'll see. I'm available <laughs> for help, but you have to first request it because I don't want to provide you with any templates before you have a chance to get stumped. <laughs> I, I will say that when it comes to EQ settings and so on, I will definitely take your and Darren's advice. Oh yeah. Darren's over mine too, by the way. He's, uh, he spent a lot more time fiddling with this stuff than I have. 
yeah. I tend to use a very basic EQ setting. I just, I, I've grown to like the sound of my voice after changing the equipment enough times to getting to the one that I'm currently on, the RE320. I sound the most pleasant to myself on this mic mm-hmm. versus all the other mics I've had, including $1,000, like really a lot more expensive mics. Like I got the um, Neumann. Yeah, the Neumann, the same mic that Howard Stern uses. I bought one of those because I thought, well, if it makes him sound good, it'll make me sound good. It does not. <laughs> so, yeah, I really think the and I tried the, the RE300 as well. The 320 is the one that I like the sound of the most. Well, it sounds good to me. You know, I, I haven't tried as many mics as you have, but it's definitely an improvement over the little USB headset I was using before. So, yeah, yeah. So, and I guess, I don't know if I have any other topics after that. Do you have anything else you want to bring up this week? No, I, th- I think we're good. You know, we've been right here at two hours, so not a bad show. Exactly. Yet. Yeah, that's pretty good. All right, guys. Well, hopefully you enjoyed this episode. And remember, the best thing you can do for us is not necessarily to send us PayPals, although we do have that address. Share the show. Definitely share the show with friends and leave ratings, comments, whatever. Apple, Google, all the, all the places that allow you to post something about the show. Cause that's the thing that actually gets more new listeners. And that is the thing that we would like to get the most just keep growing the number of listeners. You know, the ironic thing is early on, I think CSB posting and saying things on no social got us more attention. So come on, CSB, oh, sure. you gotta, you gotta make some comments about Gene and Putin. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I, you know, I played the Polish national anthem on the last Unrelenting. There you go. There you go. Yeah, I, which I don't know if that's going to make them happier or even more pissed off <laughs> that I'm playing the Polish national anthem on there. Yeah. Well, the only other thing I would say is any suggestions on show titles and, um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, give us feedback. Yeah, guys. we've been doing this long enough that we're going to do the same thing that Darren and I did with branching off a show that he had previously and then starting unrelenting as a brand new show title. So Ben and I are going to do the same thing. And so, and we'll keep giving you notice as it happens, but we'll come up with a new name. We'll have a separate website. Then we'll call this a separate show. And then Sir Gene speaks will kind of remain as my, whenever I feel like jumping in behind the microphone and saying something kind of show. Cool. All right, guys, we'll catch you next time. And as always, thanks for joining me. Please do keep in mind that nothing in this podcast represents financial, legal, or medical advice. 